morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome to the brook today. It's good to see everybody. And uh, man, just we love our brook family. We love our church family. Yes. So if you are part of the family, it's so good to see you all. And if you're visiting or newer to the church, it's great to see some unfamiliar faces. <laughs> and we look forward to making them familiar. I think they like to chat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Carrie unleashed the monster when he said greet one another, so. Love it, love it. But it always brings people in is when I say let's pray. <laughs> always works, always works. So let's, let's pray together though, for real. Father in heaven, we praise you, Lord, for this morning, God. God, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here on a, on a beautiful, sunny uh, spring morning. God, we are anticipating, God, more of what has already taken place today. And that's uh, hearing from you. God, we've heard from you through the songs we've sung. You've reminded us, God, of truths that we need to hold dear. Um, God, you've encouraged us through the word, through the singing, through even the testimony of the different things that are taking place. And, Lord, we continue to just uh, to be here uh, with, with an attitude of anticipation. We want to hear from you as, as we open the Bible, Lord, as we teach from the Bible. God, we ask that you'd speak through uh, Erica, speak through me. God, give all of us the ability to hear you, God, the ability to see you, Father. Father, as we come today, we know there are dozens of things in each of our minds, uh, things regarding the global situations, a war in Ukraine, and God, global economics, uh, um, just talks of war, rumors of war, because the Bible says nations rising against nations. Uh, God, we, we, we see that, and we are um, troubled in our soul. But, Lord, we also come with the posture of confidence that the king has already won. Lord, that you have established your reign and your rule, and nothing will thwart your plans. And so, God, with that we say, Maranatha, which is come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, um, move in us, we pray. Because, God, for these generations since the cross... You've chosen to delay your coming because you want your people to live out this mission of bringing the good news of Jesus to many people. And Lord, every moment you delay your arrival is a demonstration of your kindness because it allows just that much more time for someone to put their faith in you. And so we pray, Lord, come. And we also pray, Lord, continue to send us out. And may we maximize our time, not wasting our lives. As a result of this service, God, would you move in us toward these ends. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yeah, y'all, I'm a, I'm a sports fan. Any sports fans out there? Yeah. What I enjoy about sports is oftentimes the offseason, the anticipation that your team is going to land a big free agent. Um, or your team might trade someone you don't want anymore on your team. What happens these, this season of sports is a lot of people are signing for their team. And if you're a baseball fan in particular, baseball players make ridiculous amount of money. At least the real good ones do. And millions upon millions upon hundreds of millions of dollars are being dished out. And one of the great concerns is that baseball players, once they get paid, or any player for that matter, when they get that big contract... They start letting up a little bit on their intensity. They're like, I got paid, the contract's guaranteed, 
and now I can coast. They lose urgency. They lose passion and love for the game. And people are like, yo, what do we pay this person? And the person's like, I got my contract, and now I can kind of just chill a little bit. You know, a lot of people, at least in our culture, view marriage very similarly. First of all, they view it as a contract, and once I get into it, I can kind of coast because I got my prize, I'm locked in. Or perhaps just realize that there's no urgency or lacks passion and love, and these are perspectives that come in our culture with reference to marriage. Today, Erica and I are going to bring our concluding message from this book of the Bible called the Song of Solomon. In this book, we've learned a lot about relationships. And we found it to be useful for both marrieds and singles. Today, we're going to talk about longevity in marriage in particular. And to open this up, I want to give an illustration of a man named Robertson McQuilkin, who understood marriage to be something more than a contract he steps into. You see, he and his wife, Mary, had been married for many, many years when she began to suffer from Alzheimer's. And as they got older, her condition worsened. During this time, he was a president of a seminary, and 22 years into his presidency, he realized it was time to resign, in particular to care for his wife. This is what he said at his resignation. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've, I've had to make is this one. Because circumstances dictated it. Muriel now, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, when she can't get to me, there could be anger. She's in distress. But when I am with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part, and I am a man of my word, but I have said it's the only fair thing. She sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So if I cared for her for 40 years, I would still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She is a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Wow. That is intensity until death do us part you know when I first heard about Robertson McQuicken I know my first thing was like where does that come from how do you get that because I want some of that in me we want some of that in us and so today we want to talk about how to get some of that how to have this focus on longevity to be committed to the very end because we have to ask, where does this kind of commitment come from? That's definitely not something that we hear often, right, in our, in our culture, in our society. I feel like these stories, these are, these are rare. And yet this is giving us a picture of what God has designed marriage and love to be. 
the idea of being newlyweds is is neat. We there's game shows about it, right? Being being newly, being being in the honeymoon stage, and yet you see this, and you say, man, but there's something beautiful about being oldieweds. <laughs> should should that come? You know, there's something beautiful about oldieweds. But the 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 reason that this is not common is because this. I mean, there's many complaints about marriage in our society, right? Right? Would you say um, marriage? Have we heard marriage is outdated? And or unnecessary, it's outdated, unnecessary. Um, marriage weakens your love. Like you really want a ball and chain for the rest of your life, right? Even that 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 terminology, ball and chain. A couple of years ago, a couple that we were doing premarital counseling with came back after they got their marriage li marriage license, right? They you go to your the marriage the court to get licensed before you actually have your ceremony. So when they went, they came back and they said, you know what? Both of the clerks on the download kind of were at telling us, you sure you want to do this? Just because that is the, that is the, the thought, like, do you really want to do this for the rest of your life? And so they were both, were told, like, you can still get out of this. Like, this is your chance. Um, how about just the fact that marriages are not strong? Um, there's a, um, a movie clip um, from the movie called Up in the Air. I've, I've, I've not seen the movie, but I've seen this clip, and it's super powerful. Anna Kendrick is talking to George Clooney, and she's asking him, like, you never want to get married? And he's saying, nope, never. And she's like, you never want to get married, never want to have kids. He's like, not a chance. And, she, and he says, you know what? Go ahead, sell me. Sell me on marriage. Why don't you do that? And she's like, what about love? And he's like, love. Like, like that's, he was a, a joke to him. Um, and she's like, what about stability, someone you can count on? Um, and then he asks, how many stable marriages do you know? And she, you could tell she's like, like wilting inside. Like he has a lot of good points, you know. And he doesn't even ask her how many healthy marriages do you know. He's just saying like how many stable ones do you know. And so we think about these things and the, the way that our culture has informed our understanding of marriage. And we say, what's the value in it? What's the point? Why entangle ourselves? And so our question is, how can a married couple persevere in marriage and have longevity? We have all of these things kind of up against us. And our, our answer and what we want to talk about today is that a married couple must be committed to a fierce love. Okay? Marriage shouldn't quench love and romance. Rather, it should invigorate it and deepen it over time. I know this is not something we hear, but this is something we're going to see in the scriptures. We are told that this is impossible, and I know it's difficult to understand because we don't see it. Um, we don't see that it can deepen and invigorate over time because we've been given a different narrative our whole life. Our whole life. And what happens is we've been, we can often begin to believe that narrative. And then when we're in marriage and it actually begins to feel like, man, this is tough. We start feeling like, yeah, the grass is a little bit greener on the other side. And we start to challenge then what God has to say. But this is our big idea today is that marriage invigorates and deepens love and romance rather than quenches it. Okay, marriage deepens and invigorates rather than quenches it. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. So here we are in the Song of Solomon. We're going to be entering the final three chapters. We're going to kind of do some bullet point things as we look at it. Um, but what we've seen up to this point is that this book of the Bible is extremely relevant no matter where you're at in life. 
And we know in our church family, we have people who span the gamut of life and life experiences, whether you're single, young single, older single, married, young married, older married, kids, no kids, no matter where you're at, these truths are very relevant. Because what they do is they teach us a perspective of what God has created in both singleness and in marriage and saying that there are values and beauties in both. And what we want to do is be able to celebrate singleness as we celebrate marriage. We want to value singleness as we value marriage. And in order to value and celebrate both, we have to understand both properly. And the Song of Solomon teaches us this thing, these things. But it also teaches us how from a single person to step into a relationship and step into marriage. And so what the truth that we learn here, it equips us to communicate with others, to teach others, to apply things into our own lives. And that's what we want to do. We've seen in this, in this book the value of character. We've seen in this book the value of integrity. We've seen in this book the value in relationships of catching foxes, the little things that can wreak havoc. We've seen the beauty of marriage on a wedding day. And today we're going to talk about the longevity that comes with it. One of my good single friends named Christopher Yuan, he talks a lot about singleness. And he came to the brook years ago and was preaching on singleness. And he talked about this. He said, you know, you know some uh, married couples will come and tell him, man, singleness, now that's, that's a calling. And he's like, have you seen marriage? He's like, marriage, that's a calling, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's so true. And the truth is they're both callings from God. And that's what I love about the Song of Solomon. So no matter where we're at, God is equipping for us. And we want to change the narrative on singleness that we find in culture, and we want to change the narrative on marriage that we find in culture and say these are beautiful things God has created, and we want to love and honor one another as we journey through these two things. And so today, our main text will be in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to take four snapshots in the Song of Solomon. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles there with us, Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Verses 6 and 7. And would you stand to your feet, just kind of get stretched and give honor to the word of God as we get ready to read it. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a blue one in that chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home. Um, we would love for you to meet us here as we get ready to read from this amazing passage. Chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Amen. You may be seated, fam. So as we strive to learn more about fierce love, the kind of love that we read about in that illustration of Robertson McQuilkin, we see first off here that fierce love imitates God's love. Fierce love imitates God's love. Let me say this. The, the, the topic of love and the ability to cultivate and grow in fierce love is something that God calls all of his children to do, without exception. Jesus says, you, they will know that you are my disciples by, my, by, your, by your love, by the way you love each other. And so here the Song of Solomon says, hey, at the very core of our existence when we are a follower of Jesus is to learn to love like God loves. And here in chapter 8, verse 6, 
the, the bride, the wife, is speaking to her husband, and she says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Now, a seal in ancient culture is oftentimes a wax seal that was placed on an envelope. And on that envelope, while the wax was still uh, was not yet uh, cold and, and solidified, there would be a seal, a signet ring or something on their neck that they would stamp into the wax to, to, the, um, to demonstrate ownership of that letter so that once it arrives unbroken, they know the contents inside of it are protected, that it is valid, that it is authenticated. Y'all with me on this? So what she is saying is, set me as a seal upon your heart. I want to know that I have sealed your heart, she is saying. Set me as a seal upon your arm. I want prime place in your strength. Basically, she's saying, I want to be secure, and so let me know that I am the one who has your affections, your heart, and has your strength, your arm. That's pretty cool language, ain't that? And so she's saying, I, I want you to, I want to have that kind of security. Basically, she, you know, in our day, like, can we get a matching tattoo, all right? Can we, can we know and others know that we are together? And so this is her request. And then she says this, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. How about that language? Love is as strong as death. Death is final. It is absolute. It is irreversible. And so that's, that's how true love is. It is established. Jealousy is as, is as fierce as the grave. The grave does not bring things back. It, there is an exclusivity about that. And she's saying, this is the kind of love I want to make sure that others know that we have for each other. That's some fantastic language right there. That's poetry. You can use that one. I just footnote it, right? It's the Bible. But here then, it's as if the writer takes a step back and starts narrating in their own words and says this about love. It's flashes, are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Love's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. This is the first and only time the name of God is mentioned in the entire book of Song of Solomon. And even at that, it's only half his name is Yah, which is short for Yahweh. And basically it's saying that the, that the Yahweh's love, that God's love is like a flame, like a fire. It is fierce and jealous. And we learn to love by watching how God loves. Now, as I mentioned, God calls all his people to love. And this is what we see here, essentially. We need to learn to love with a fierce kind of burning love like God loves. And so then we, it's incumbent upon us to say, how does God love then? What is the fierceness of God's love? And this is what's beautiful. A lot of times we overlook the fact that the entire story of the Bible in many ways is a story of love. It's a story of a God who loves such unlovable people like me and you but was persistent in doing that, in loving us, because it's consistent with his character. I mean, last week we all heard a wonderful message from our brother Kerry on, on, on shame. But in that, he talked about God's design in the Garden of Eden. And we saw how, uh, how Adam and Eve fell into sin by taking the fruit. Sin enters the world. Things are broken. God's people, his creation, rebels from him. 
And we would think that God being a just God would be like, all right, you broke it, you buy it, see ya. But the story of the Bible is about a God who is persistent in his love. And from that moment in the Garden of Eden, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, all the way on, we see God steadily wooing his people, even though we would resist him time and time again. And it climaxes at the arrival when God says, I'm coming down myself to win them. He takes on human flesh, has the name Jesus, and walks this earth because he loves people. And now a lot of times people are like, you know, we over, you can overemphasize God's love. You could, sort of, but no. Because if we, if we don't look at God's love for his people and only look at God's justice, we lose something of God's character. And the same thing if we don't look at justice but only look at love. But, but let's say this. The Bible says this about God's love. Romans 5 eight. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you started getting your life together, Jesus decided to die for you. Not when things were starting to look better and the prospects for your future were getting better. But God died for you while you were a hot mess. That's fierce love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son because he loved the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's God's love. Or 1 John 4, 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love that he would sacrifice for us. And so fierce love gets its cues from an, the unquenchable love of God, family. And that's the way we are to love our neighbor. That's how we are to love each other at the brook. That's how we are to love the stranger on the block. Jesus said that's how you are to love your enemy. That's how you are to love your friends. And apply to marriage, that's how you love your spouse. Every area of our lives should be touched by the fierce love of God. And this love is a jealous love because God's like, hey, loving me is best for your life. And when you go somewhere else, I'm grieved by that. I'm jealous of it because I want what's best for you. That's God's love. And that's the kind of love here in the Song of Solomon saying, hey, you want longevity, in particular in marriage? Get your cues from how God loves. And let your love be fierce. The thing is, it's, it's easy. It sounds like, yeah, I could do that. And it's, it kind of feels like that's good to do in the very beginning, right? Like, it's easier to love people kind of when you don't know all the stuff about them, right? <laughs> or when you haven't been around for a long time. It gets a little bit harder. And yet God's love continues to say, no, it, it, is, it is fierce. It's yeah. that love that still loves no matter what. It's not that um, contractual type of love. It's the covenant type of love. And so this is the kind of love that he says many waters cannot quench it. Many waters cannot quench. This is the kind of love <clears throat> that cannot be extinguished. And you think about it, like, how is that even possible? How is that possible to continue to have a love that's just, just, just burning, like, like just not, not quenchable? The kind of love that even when, because when we say for, uh, in sickness and in health, when, when sickness comes, it's still, it's still burning. When, when poorer comes, yeah. it's still burning. When anything, any outside thing or anything comes into our, your, your, your marriage or even other relationships that you're still like, I'm still going to love you fiercely. How do we do that? 
Um, and it's, it's really hard because that's generally not what we think that marriage is. It's like you, a lot of times you think, well, it starts off really, really intense. And then what happens is that flame begins to like slowly, slowly die and flicker. And, you know, and I think it's all, I think in many ways it has to, to do with a lot of times we come into marriage with an idea of what happily ever after would look like. Right? What kind of dreams did you come into marriage with? I know for us, we grew up in like the 90s R&B culture. And so for me, I thought that Eric would constantly be strumming my pain with his fingers <laughs> and singing my life with his song. And he'd be killing me softly. And I just thought that that was like how it was going to be. I knew he wasn't a scrub, you know. So I was like, I could get down with you. And then on top of that, like our, so our prom song was Aerosmith's, um, I don't want to miss a thing. So I would think like literally, um, and part of that song says, um, I just knew that when we were married, that this would be fulfilled because it says, I could stay awake just to hear him breathing. Watch you smile while you are sleeping, while you're far away and dreaming. I could spend my whole life in this sweet surrender, in this moment forever. So I'm like, I can love you like that. <laughs> I can make you my world. Yep. Move heaven and earth if you were my girl. <laughs> so let's don't wait till the water runs dry. We might watch our whole lives pass us by. And we'll make the biggest mistakes of our lives. You know, you know, you know the words. Don't. Do it, baby. <laughs> I couldn't remember the words. I'm like, I don't know. JJ heard it. I heard them. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. Those visions of what happily ever after may not be actually God's dream for our marriage, right? And, may, and there, a lot of times they're based on feelings. If I feel this certain way and when you re realize, like, no, I can't stay awake just to watch you. Like, like that's just not, what? Um, and so we start comparing and start, like, not realizing, like, God's love is so much stronger and deeper than that. And actually, the marital love that he has for us are in a covenant type of relationship, which is not a contract of what the world tells us. So a contract relationship is the kind that says, like, we came together to make each other happy. Therefore, if you're not making me happy anymore, you know what? The, this contract isn't so much working out for me. A covenant says God brought us together for his purpose. And so even when you're not making me happy right now, I know that God has a purpose even in this and he's refining me and refining you and I'm going to yeah. love you. A contract is my, I'm going to receive my spouse so long as they live up to my expectations. Okay, but a covenant says my sp I'm going to receive my spouse with all their imperfections. Because you know what? I have imperfections too. And so if I can look at, look at my spouse and you can look at anyone and say, you know what, I'm going to receive you. I'm going to love you even with all of your weaknesses. That's the kind of covenant-keeping love that, that marriage should be defined by. That God says, this is a kind of fierce love. Mm -hmm. A contract says, um, I'm going to leave my, the other things around me, um, leave my uh, um, options open in case something goes wrong. I'm just going to, you know, leave it open in case something, you know, whereas a covenant says, I'm going to leave the security of everything else because God has called me to cleave to you. And so this is the kind of love that God is defining for us. And this is the kind of love that says even waters can't quench it. That means when the trials come 
That means when, when feelings go, go, go up and down and you're kind of like dealing and you see all their weaknesses and all of who they are and you're still able to love, this is the kind of love that God calls us to love because this is the kind of covenant-keeping love that he calls us to. And so marriage should not be, um, we don't define our, we don't, our marriages are sustained beautifully when we realize that it is a covenant and not a contract. And God is teaching us from Song of Solomon that when we enter into a marriage covenant, that we learn how to fiercely love one another, that we tenaciously protect this marriage, um, and we set it as a seal upon our heart, okay, and an arm, and that no one, no one else should take that place. And this is what God is calling us, the type of, the type of love that he's calling a, a marriage to have. Yeah. So, so that first snapshot of fierce love is ultimately, first off, it takes its cues from God. God's unquenchable love. But there's a second thing that we see, a second snapshot we want to draw our attention to, and that's in chapter 5, verses 2 and following, is that a fierce love resolves conflict. Fierce love resolves conflict. That was a result. Mm, conflict. Right? Mm. How you do that? <laughs> so here in the Song of Solomon, and we don't have a lot of time to get into this conflict, but we see in chapter 5, verse 2, she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. So we, we tend to think that this section here is a dream that she's having of a conflict that they had. And we're learning from their conflict, um, first of all, how to resolve conflict and the fact that conflicts happen, y'all. They happen. So here's how their conflict went. She said, a sound. My beloved is knocking. And he's at the front door. And she says, open. He's saying, open to me. My sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of night. Hey, I'm out here, I'm in the rain, I'm trying to come to you, she's, he's telling her, knocking on the door. And her response in verse 3 is this, I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I bathed my feet, how could I soil them? She's like, I got my pajamas on, I'm not coming out. <laughs> All right, I got a headache, I'm not coming to you. I'm not opening that door. My beloved put his hand to the latch of the door, and my heart was thrilled within me. So maybe she's just playing hard to get. And he's like, he's trying to, he's like, honey, open the door for me. And then verse 5, I arose to open to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. And she's like, oh, man, I missed out. He's gone now. And it says, my soul failed, my soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him. But he gave no answer, and now they are distant here. And then in her dream, she went out looking for him. The watchmen found me on the street as they went about in the city, and then they beat me and then bruised me and took away my veil and those watchmen of the walls. And, and she's like, man, this dream is getting into a nightmare. It's horrible. I've, I've gotten a fight with my man. I'm, I've, I've, you know, he was trying to come to me. I pushed him away, and now I'm lost. And then she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved uh, that you tell him, I'm sick with love. And so here we see kind of a kind of conflict that they have, and now they're not together, they're, they're, they're apart, and they're distant emotionally, whether in this dream or whatever is taking place here. But we learn a lot of lessons about conflict. First of which, it happens. Yes. So conflict is that thing that we, we don't love, but we can't really escape, right? Um, it's like, like taxes and city stickers. Like, we're going to have conflict. It's a result of the fact that we have personality differences, the result that you have two, two selfish people trying to live together, right? 
um, expectations. We have past failures or current failures. We have different choices and pressures and, I mean, you name it, right? So conflict is a natural thing, and it isn't all bad. In fact, we often say if uh, couples without conflict are often sometimes couples that are just not dealing with conflict. Mm -hmm. And so the sweeping under the rug is not going to, at some point, the, you're going to see the big pile and need to deal with it, right? And it can be a dozen, a dozen of things. Like you can even think of conflicts maybe that are, are currently happening right now. It could be uh, so many things, you know, miscommunication. You, you didn't, you scheduled a night out with other, others and you didn't tell me. It could be you didn't do what I asked you to do, um, but you said you would do it. It could be um, you did or you said or you didn't do or you didn't say um, or the fact that you feel like, man, we just constantly just go at it. Um, it could be so many different things, but this is the, th the thing that I think we want to get from this text is that healthy couples will have conflict, okay? Um, we will disagree. Uh, we won't always see eye to eye, okay? Um, but that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the marriage then. It's not like you're like, oh, okay, well, then I got I to gotta get out of this thing. Like, no, it's, it's going to happen because of all the things we just mentioned, differences and, and, and struggles, but it's how do we conflict well? How do we fight fair? Um, and we just kind of wanted to give a few different, um, man, just snippets of ways to conflict in a way that actually le can lead to a, uh, a conversation instead of a confrontation each time. And I'll even say, like, usually when we do teachings on this, I mean, we take a whole hour just to talk about this very topic. And so we just want to kind of give a primer, though, in terms of just, okay, there, there's ways to resolve conflicts in marriage, in relationships, and in friendships, too. Yeah. Uh, across the board, we got to learn to yeah. resolve conflict instead of just throwing me out and saying, I'm going to give me a new friend. Yeah. And so these are, these are some of the things that are applicable across the board with any conflict, right? That we don't storm out. Okay? We don't like, oh, I'm going to peace out on this. I mean, maybe we might say, okay, I'm going to need a little, take a little breather right now. But you communicate that, right? And then you come back to have a conversation about it. You don't, don't yell. There's no, there, there should not be the um, making somebody feel lesser or bringing, I mean, man, anger will sabotage any conver conversation, right? Okay, so don't take a, sh a cheap shot, right? You guys know. We're, we know because we know each other's buttons, right? And it's like the cheap shot is when you're like, I'm going to press that button, and I'm going to hold it, or I'm going to press a few buttons. I'll be like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know when you're pressing that button. <laughs> and so it's like not choosing not choosing to know the button and not press it. Yeah. All right? That's fierce love right that's, there. That's fierce love. That's fierce love. Um, do we say do? Pray. Do pray. Take it to God because you know what? It's really hard to do it on our own. Don't take it to Facebook. Don't take it to Facebook. No? Really? Facebook shouldn't know all your business. But God, God could read Facebook, no? No. no. Um, do be, man, if we were just to obey James, right? Do be slow to speak, quick to listen, and, and slow to become angry. Even, even they say, um, we've heard it said, like, a, an argument or a, a, a conversation will change depending on your startup. And so depending on the first three seconds of that conversation. So can you imagine if for a moment you chose to obey James and you say, okay, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And you're like, I know it wants to come out right now, but I'm going to be slow. And just three seconds can change the whole conversation. That's listening to the spirit of God. There's a difference between a reaction and a response. Yes. Do take a time out. If you need a timeout, take a timeout, but let each other know, I'm just, I'll be back, okay? And do talk about it. 
always come back after you time out and deal with it together. And if you need a third party, don't be ashamed to get, we need counsel. Yeah. Get counsel. There should be no, no, um, I don't know, bad thoughts about counseling. Yeah. I, I pray that that's not here. And then do, goodness, do forgive. We've got to learn how to forgive yeah. well. Um, if we remember how much we've been forgiven, it allows us to say, okay, I can forgive yeah. even when it's hard. Yeah, so here, here in the story, this, this couple, they're, they're distant from each other. She tells her girlfriends, hey, if you see my, my, my husband, tell him I'm sick with love. Again, this is a dream, and it's all poetry. This is this kind of uh, the whole book of, of Song of Psalms is poetic, so we're not to take things overly literal, um, but we're to understand the, the essence of what's going on here. And then the girls say, well, what is, in ver chapter 5, verse 9, what is your beloved more than any other beloved, O most beautiful among women? Basically... What's the big deal about him? Why, why are you so concerned about him and his affection? Um, well, first of all, I love the fact that she's about, what, she, what she's about to say, she's about to say in front of her friends. And so what she's about to say, she's going to admire him in front of her friends. And she's doing this even after a conflict. Interesting, right? Even after a conflict, she can have something um, good to say about her husband. She can see um, the best in him even still. And so the way that she kind of describes him, she says... As she's the girls are like, so what's the big deal about him? Um, she says, my, my beloved is dazzling and ready. She's like, he is, he shines brightly. He is, um, he, he's, he, she, she says he's outstanding among 10,000. He stands out to me. There's no one like him. Like, she, it's hard, she's like, almost like it's hard for me to explain, but there, uh, out of 10,000 men, he's the one that stands out to me. Uh, she compares his head to gold. I think, man, of all the elements, she, she could have said, like, he's like copper aluminum <laughs> or foil. aluminum foil. <laughs> She's like, no, he's gold to me. So she chose the, the highest of elements. Um, she says his eyes are like doves, like milk, like the idea of him being safe and gentle and peaceful. Uh, it's not hard for her to be around him. She says his cheeks are, are like um, aroma and spices. So she, she says, like, when he comes around, I, he, he leaves a sweet um, a sweet aroma in the room. It's not like, oh, he's here. She, she enjoys his presence. Um, she says his lips are like myrrh. Um, his arms, she says he's, he's strong. Again, she, she refers to them as gold. She says his body is like I ivory. It's a, she feels like he's just valuable and protecting of her. And, um, and I feel like even as you read, the, the majority of her, her affirmations have to do with her description of his affirm affirmations of his face, and I feel like they're also affirming of his character. Remember, we yeah. talked so much about his, his the, the character of the, the, this couple, his tenderness, and she cherishes that. Men, women cherish your tenderness, your kindness, the way that you make her feel um, safe, secure, um, at peace. And she's affirming him and telling him this, and she's saying, and I enjoy his friendship. She says at the end, and this is my beloved, and this is my friend. She's telling her girlfriends that. And I think men d desire to be um, affirmed publicly. And here she's kind of giving that. And I, I love the fact that she's giving it as well without feeling like I need to hold that back because we just had an argument and he doesn't deserve it. Um, and she's just affirming him. And so I, I just love that she's able to do that even after a conflict, even after being frustrated. She is able to love him even with his flaws, even with his weaknesses. And here's the thing. Majority of the time, we know their weaknesses. We know their flaws so, so much in marriage. And yet, at the same time, she's able to say, I love you even in all your weaknesses. 
Because you know what? She's able to recognize that she has them as well. Um, and it does something beautiful for our spouse when we're able to say, I see you, I see all of you, and I still love you. Is that even when we feel like, oh, they're so weak in these areas or they have so many flaws, it's that kind of love that's saying, you know what, I love you so much that I believe that God can call you to be the person that God has called you to be. And that's the kind of love that helps them to become that type, that type of um, person that truly lives out their purpose. Because we say, you know, I love you in spite of all your weaknesses. Isn't that beautiful? To somebody yeah. to completely see you and say, you know what, and I see all your weaknesses and I still love you and I believe that God can do things through you. And that's how you want them to love you because you're Absolutely. a hot mess as well. And you're, yeah. you're saying, hey, I'm going to choose to love you this way because I know I'm asking you to do the same with me. And that's, and that's a, it's an important thing to realize because, yeah, it's, it's easy to, to, um, to notice the flaws uh, in marriage in particular of your spouse. But we can't fixate on those. Yeah. And so we say, uh, focus on their fragrance. Don't fixate on their flaws. Yes. Focus on, on, on what, what uh, the sense you have in their presence and knowing of who they are. I, I liken it to this. You, you got a quarter, and you can say, all right, I, I hold it out here, and I can see. I can see all of you in this room. If I, I can pull out two quarters. I can see all of you in this room as I look here. But the more I fixate on these quarters, look, look what's happening here. It's doing this, and what's happening to my vision eventually? All I'm seeing are the quarters. And many couples are walking around like this. Mm -hmm. They see their spouse and they just see their flaws, right? They're just fixated on the flaws. And, and what the Song of Solomon is teaching us here, you, look, there's always a flaw to, to look at. Yes. For yourself, for the other person, in every friendship, every relationship, there's always flaws because you and everyone else is broken. Mm -hmm. But if we fixate on it, we miss out on friendship. We miss out on relationship. And it's not loving. It's not fierce love to fixate on the flaws. And so we want to learn to really um, focus on their fragrance, focus on the things you appreciate about them. It doesn't mean we don't deal with the flaws. We don't work through those things, but, but we got to learn to love as we do that. And so that's, that's a, a second thing we see, that fierce love resolves conflict. And as this is happening, we learn that a fierce love values humble communication. Throughout the Song of Solomon, they're talking. They're talking to each other, and even here she's talking about her beloved. And then, uh, and then uh, in verse chapter 6, verse 3, she says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. She's affirming their relationship, and he says in verse 4, You are beautiful as Tirzah, my love, lovely as Jerusalem. Two capital cities in the, in the kingdom there, the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah. And basically he's like, like oh, now you want to talk to me? Right? He's not saying that, but he's saying, all right, I'm going to meet you here, though you wouldn't open the door for me in this dream or whatever that was like, but I'm here still. And they're communicating, and it's humble communication because we know that uh, what quenches communication oftentimes are two things. It's pride and it's anger. Pride and anger. So when we are able to look at our look at a conflict and say, okay, how in this moment can I not bring my pride in here? And how can I recognize my anger enough to be able to say, okay, I know if I'm angry right now, it's going to sabotage just communication. And so how can I now either take a walk, deal with the, the anger so that I can actually communicate, okay? And so pride, it, it is. It's a conversation killer, right? Um, the, the, the idea is like, well, you missed your chance. Um, I'm going to show you that you're wrong and I'm right. And I'm going to make you look dumb. These may not actually come out, or maybe they, maybe they do. <laughs> maybe you're like, actually, I've said that. Um, 
But if our attitude is like that, we're going to kill the opportunity and, and your, your spouse is going to sense that or the person that you're in conflict with is going to sense that. Um, it's going to sense that you're being arrogant either outwardly or passively. We, we, how many of us are really good passive-aggressive arguers, right? Like th even that, that's pride. That's not welcoming a conversation. Um, and then anger will have the same effect, right? Um, anger will be the same. It's like that. I, th I think oftentimes when we are in a, in a situation where we feel disrespected, either we're going to kind of shut down and it, like, okay, I'm, I can't, and we shut down, or we feel we blow up, okay? And so it's like knowing, okay, what, what kind of person is your spouse and not wanting to press that button or knowing when, oh, man, I did that, and now they're shutting down. Okay, I got to come, and I got to I gotta humbly acknowledge that I was prideful, humbly acknowledge that I was angry, and, um, and man, that, that welcomes a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so recognize um, next time you're tempted to act in pride or in anger. Um, think, about, think about this. How well did that work for you last time? You know, I mean, so many times we're like, you know, maybe counseling or dealing with um, a, a situation and it's like, man, how, how has that been working for you? When is one of you going to choose to say, okay, I'm going to humble myself and not be the one that's always right or has the last word or is angry? And you know what? God can work in that when even just one spouse gives their 100 and, and is not waiting for, oh, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for you. Yeah, well. How long are you guys going to wait? You gonna, is, that, is that really working? Yeah, absolutely. And so this humble communication is essential in, in any relationship, but in particular also in marriage. Uh, a fourth snapshot I'm going to mention just briefly for the sake of time is that fierce love also preserves romance. In, in the Song of Solomon, you see this couple continuing to just express their love for one another. And this is what we talk about, how, how oftentimes in our culture, this idea that marriage kills love, it's a broken idea but it doesn't, but it also exposes the fact that in marriage, you gotta keep working at it. You gotta let old love produce new expressions. You need to learn to, to cultivate and grow as you have affections toward one another. As the book of Song of Solomon closes, it's almost like you expect in the last verses for it to say, and they lived happily ever after. Or they grew old and uh, lived together, and it was great, and they died at a, at a ripe old age together. Like, that's what you want to read. But you see in verses 13 and 14 of the last chapter, when the couple is here, they're, they're, there's some closing advice, kind of reemphasizing a character, reemphasizing uh, giving of self in marriage, in, I mean, within marriage, to give yourself to your spouse. There we hear in the last two verses, the husband says, Oh, you who dwell in the gardens referring to his wife, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. He's calling for his wife, and she says, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spice. I'll let you interpret some of that analogy there. She's inviting him to come to her. And what we see them is almost going back into the whole cycle of the book of Song of Solomon, because that's kind of how it started. And what we learn is that these are the cycles of love within marriage. It takes effort. It takes fierce love. It takes perseverance. And as we're talking about this, we know that there are various challenges all of us face in all of our relationships. If you're married, you might look back and say, man, I've, I've really, I've, I have not been very fierce. Some of us look back in our story, maybe, maybe in your past relationships. But we want you to know that the fierce love that we're calling us to and remind us 
it takes its cues from God's fierce love. And the fierceness of God's love is to say, hey, I know who you are. I know you completely. I know you in all your brokenness. And I'm going to restore you as you walk with me. I'm, I'm going to redeem what the locusts have eaten. I'm going to redeem those broken things of your past. I'm going to bring you new life and hope as you trust in me. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. And he does that by coming to this earth and dying on a cross and raising from the dead. So that through him we can be forgiven. We can have a relationship with God. And we can learn to really uh, thrive under God's blessing. And that's ultimately what we want us to understand in this Song of Solomon. You know, as we talk about um, relationships and longevity here, um, what we really want to highlight is a particular couple in our church that seems to have been doing a pretty good job at this. Goodness gracious. Guys, at the Brook, we have a true, a true gift. And um, Bruce and Debbie Olson have... Yes. Um, We just felt like it would be really neat to wrap up this series, hearing from a couple that's been married for almost 49 years. <laughs> and um, we, we just, I think even from the time that they came to the brook, we've always had this posture of seeing these seasoned saints and saying, okay, teach us. <laughs> Show us how to walk this life in a way that honors God. And, and um, I think even oftentimes when we're at conferences, we will have, at marriage conferences, we will have couples that have been there um, I think there was one recently that was married for 60, 60 years at a marriage conference. We took a picture with that. We were like, hey, can we, you're our heroes. You guys are oldie weds. How cool is that? And so um, I, we just, as we're here with Bruce and Debbie, we kind of want to just say, okay, for almost 49 years, what is the secret sauce? <laughs> what, what, what kind of advice um, would you guys give to those of us that are kind of like looking at marriage and saying, okay, this sounds, this seems great. How do you, how do we do this? Um, what is the, what is the secret, secret sauce? Okay. Deb's going to start. <laughs> That's what, the one secret sauce right there. What, one. <laughs> she, she didn't really do that to me, did that she? Folks? She really didn't do that. All right. Thank you. I, uh, uh, Parentheses that uh, this is intimidating. Uh, although most of the rest of you would do the same thing, you'd walk through water for your pastor and your pastor's wife. So when per Eric and Erica said about this, we we couldn't say no. Okay. In thinking about this, we thought about four things, and you, they were all mentioned in the sermon that held our marriage together for 49 years. And I have to say that. Uh, a lot of what you said is true. There are times of distress. There are times of frustration. There's times of uh, almost panic, like what next? Why, how do we get here? How do we get out of these things? But here's the four things. Number one for us was purpose. We are very different, but we had a very similar purpose. Um, number two is commitment to a covenant. Three, forgiveness and grace. And four, hard work. Now you all are saying, especially as singles, what happened to love? That is a subtitle under hard work. Come on. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start with purpose, and then he's going to talk about commitment. We're going to kind of go back and forth. 
Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Or another version says, can two walk together if they don't agree on where they're going? How far are they going to get? So what is the purpose of life? What are our goals? And what is the purpose of marriage? To glorify God, to be used of him, um, to be impactful for his kingdom, to leave a legacy, a testimony. And marriage preaches the gospel. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. We were 22, 23 years old when we met. We were very different in many ways, but we had that purpose in common. So, Bruce, just say some of the just ways. Just so that, we're that you guys get an idea of how differences attract, I am from a little rural town in Nebraska of a thousand people. I grew up in a city of 25 million, Mexico City. I am Swedish. We don't show emotions. We keep ourselves very low key in conversations. <laughs> I am Italian heritage. We are emotional. We use our hands a lot. Any kind of story, I like lots of detail and so forth and would uh, never ever consider hearing the end of the story before uh, all the details first. I hate prepositional phrases and dangling particles. <laughs> Give me the punchline and we'll work backwards from there. This is a classic example. I love sports like Eric and am reasonably into them. I backed off a lot, but in terms of March Madness. Our children asked us to be part of March Madness. Grandma, get into this. Okay. So I chose the teams by the color of their mascots. <laughs> and then they said, give us a score. And I said, 17 to 10. I didn't realize till I was all over that we were talking about basketball, not football. <laughs> At our wedding, back to differences in purpose. At our wedding, we chose this song. It came out in 1972, and we got married in 1973 by the Galileans. They didn't make it real big, but this song is good. Into thy hands we place our lives, Lord, to be used of you. Take our lives, mold our lives, use them as you wish to do. Send us, Lord, where we're needed. Our lives belong to you. Into your hands we place our lives, Lord, to be used of you. The, the second uh, ingredient was, Deb referenced, was commitment. I hold in my hands the, my, my yearbook, and I have 40 graduates that have graduated with me, and believe it or not, there is one young lady in here whose father died when she was about 12, 39 other kids that I look at, and every single one of them had a two-parent family that stayed together. So I had the example of the expectation, the commitment, the longevity of marriage. The year that Deb and I got married, we were married, that same year, my parents celebrated their 25th, my grandparents celebrated their, their 50th, and my great-grandparents, just a couple of years before that, had celebrated their, their 75th. So the notion of covenant, commitment, lifetime, for better or worse, there was no question, uh, and, and that 
kind of commitment was or has been um, a, an element. Yeah, we, we saw that, we expected that, that we would stay together. That, and it, it was a covenant, it was a vow, and we would take it seriously. Okay, so number three is forgiveness. It should be number one. <laughs> um, Colossians 3, 12 to 14 said, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I think this should be read at every wedding. Um, bear with one another, forgive one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Um, I think we should go back and listen to Terry's sermon from last week about once a month. Um, whether you're married or not. Um, if you have been married two weeks or more, <laughs> you realize that you're a sinner married to a sinner and forgiveness has to be a part of it. And, um, Another, it's kind of like forgiveness, I would say grace. Proverbs 19 says, it is one's glory to overlook an offense. Okay, that's grace. It just, forgiveness is like somebody comes and asks you, I'm sorry, I messed up, and you offer them forgiveness. And grace is, they don't even ask you. You know, they even walk out the door and say, hey, I'm out the door. And like, where are you going? You forgot to tell me. And then you can just overlook that. That's not a moral failure. Anybody married out there? <laughs> so we extend grace. God extends grace to us. And, 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 and Second Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. The fourth aspect was hard work. I'm just going to bullet a couple of them. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you're going to reap a harvest if you faint not. The implication is a whole lot of work from a farm background. Lots and lots of work goes into the end product. So in your marriage, a ton of hard work, a couple, two or three examples. Look, start studying, get on the same page. Two quick examples. Uh, money is a big issue with marriages. Kid discipline and raising children is a big difference. Talk it through, find ways to resolve, find out what your money issues are so that you're not going in different directions. That, that's hard work. Acknowledge each other's strengths and weaknesses. If I think that as the guy of the house, I should be doing the finances, but I've got an organized wife that loves to pay the bills, go ahead and relinquish. If, if she thinks that she should be the cook, but I happen to enjoy the kitchen, go ahead and decide. That's hard work to determine some of those. That's just an example. <laughs> Both of those are just... <laughs> you, you remember the Italian part that there's always something added on, right? Five love languages is important. Most of you know or have heard of them. Learn your wife's love language, your husband's love language. It will take a lot, a lot of, uh, it, it will do a lot for your marriage. Be committed. Uh, the whole communication thing, Eric and Erica said it so well on the communication and the humility. And the biggest one that I would say for us guys, let your ego 
fall to the side on communication, be the first one to initiate. The number of times, if and when I've been willing to give up that selfishness and make the step, that's gigantic. Uh, identify the areas that are never ever gonna change. It's winter time, Deb needs light so that she doesn't get whatever light deprived. Every house light in the house is gonna be on whether I want to or not. <laughs> A few dollars of electric bill is not gonna kill you off. Um, she will always be late coming out of church, but I know that she's involved in meaningful conversation with sisters. I've got lots of good books. The bears are on, so I'm out. And, and it's not an issue where it used to be. And the very last one on the hard work thing is recognize those times where you need to pull somebody else in. Somebody once asked me, you fix your car. I said, in a lot of things, they say, when you have to overhaul the transmission, I said, I, I wouldn't touch that. They said, then how come you're not getting some help with your marriage, okay? So don't be afraid, that's hard work too. We, we're almost done. We went to a marriage retreat at, when we were married for four years. We went to a counselor together when we were married 10 years. We went again when we were married 16 years, probably because we had all sorts of teenagers in our house. <laughs> and, then <laughs> uh, and then we went on a marriage retreat when we were married 40 years. Uh, so we went to counseling together. And in between those, I went to counseling by myself. You can do your own work, too. Yes. There's two people in the marriage yes. and resolve some of the stuff that I was making me feel insecure or whatever. So... Um, Shout out to high, hard work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Adjust expectations. Expecting one person to meet your needs is idolatry. <laughs> Elizabeth Elliot, you should listen to her sometimes. Like, where did y'all get the crazy idea that one person is going to meet all your needs? So um, in a marriage, uh, this, this comes from a book that we've used, and a lot of you know this, and we've tried to live by it. Um, you know that your spouse has strengths and weaknesses. And let's suppose that 80% of what he does, he's a good man, godly man, he's helpful, he's kind, he loves his grandchildren, it's good. And 20% is annoying. But you spend 80% of your time trying to focus on that annoying thing mm. and not recognizing what's right. Come on. It's the 80-20 thing. Okay? <laughs> I hear you out there. Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, think on these things. I'm like, I'm right here like the killer. <laughs> Tell me more. My goodness, um, what, a, what a gift, your story, and just even your sharing of these things. Uh, actually, we only got a small snippet of your story. There's so much more. But so grateful for your wisdom and, and what you both have shared with us this, this afternoon. Um, as you're talking, I'm just reminded how much, like, like looking in this room, we all have such different kinds of stories. And, and some of us, didn't have the examples um, that to look up to that others of us did. Some of us have, have uh, had heartaches that other of, others of us haven't experienced. Um, but, the, but the common thread is the faithfulness of a God 
who holds us down. Is there something you would say even to that, that reality of we've all got different stories and rather, because what I don't want is to say like, man, I sure wish I had Bruce and Debbie's story. I sure wish, uh, you know, this, this and that came through because your story is not Erica and my story, which is not, you know, how, what, what is a, even to, to someone here, a single or married, I guess there's something you would say to that. Sorry to put you on the spot, but. I love that reminder, Eric, because don't look at Deb and me. This is God's grace. We are, it, some of you know the, the, the other side of the Olsons and the struggle. And Deb and I scratch our head at the places where we still struggle and how come we don't have this figured out after all this time. Some of you do that and you look and you say, man, Erica and Erica, they've got the perfect relationship, look and so forth at that. These guys work their heads off by God's grace as a young couple. For all of us, again, one of the things that I've said many times about the brook is I think that we're about transparent stories and sharing life on life. And so whatever point we come from, I love Eric's reminder, God is such a God of grace and of patience with us. Um, one of Carrie's lines last week was the one that loves us most, the one that loves us most is the one that accepts us and, and knows us best. Take that into your marriage too and as he knows every aspect of your marriage and your personality and you as a couple, he'll, he'll give you the strength and the Come grace on. and just pursue it. God's grace toward us and God's forgiveness to us and God's love to us, um, regardless of what's behind us, helps us to show grace and love to others. And, um, yeah. Uh, when, I, I just want to say this one more thing. When difficult times come and you feel distant to each other, you feel discouraged, you feel frustrated, you feel like this is never going to work, uh, I don't love you anymore. I don't, I've lost my feeling for them. Uh, you who were quoting songs, I thought about this song. A uh, song in our day that was very popular was You Lost That Loving Feeling. It was on the top of the charts for a long time. <laughs> okay, the loving feeling is not butterflies and that kind of stuff. The loving feeling that I know that God loves me and mm -hmm. he has accepted me and he has forgiven me and he will give me the grace and his love will overflow so I can give it to somebody else. And, and forgiveness is important that we forgive our partners. But also forgiveness is important that we have to ask God for his forgiveness and his healing for the things we've come through. So that, uh, so when we are in distress, we should not say, should I stay in this marriage? Or I need to get out of here. We should ask these kinds of questions. Do I know how to love? Do I need God's help and to get close to him and be filled with his love so I can do that? Am I willing to forgive instead of saying, should I stay in this marriage or should I get out of this marriage? Um, you choose to love. You learn to love. Um, and God loves you, and then that can overflow to others. So thankful for you guys. Um, I think what you guys exemplify is, you know, we talked about how we can have different dreams when we come into marriage or what happily ever after will look like, and yet you guys chose to define your marriage by God's purpose over your lives. 
and that has been exemplified in the way that you're able to love well, able to work hard and receive the help that's needed to forgive. And, and so we're just very thankful. Um, can we just thank Bruce and Debbie or even right now? Well, I'm gonna have you hold on to that. Um, Again, yeah, so grateful for you both. And I, I want to invite our church family. Would you stand to your feet as we prepare? Worship team, you guys can come on up. But I want to ask Bruce and Debbie, would you pray? Would one of you pray for this beautiful church that we have, this, these, this family of ours that, um, man, I know God has moved us in many different ways. Would you just pray a blessing over them uh, as we close in song? Father, we're so grateful for your love first and foremost for us. It sets the example, it sets the bar, it's what we uh, strive to attain and desire. Thank you for the practical teaching from this Song of Solomon series. Uh, may we seek as a church body to really live out these principles. You are uh, desirous of growing us as a church family, as individuals. Father, strengthen the one that needs special hope, special determination, special uh, recommitment to doing things your ways. You are a good God, and we thank you in advance for the many, many personal and individual ways we're going to see you work in the days ahead in our life. In your name.